Folks, thanks so much for taking your time to be with us here at the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. And as you know, if you like what you see, please click that share button and click that like button and let more people know about it. The whole point of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast is to get you better informed, better educated, so you can be better activated. And we need that now in these trying times. Our show this week will focus on several different topics. We want to talk about the issue of education because schools are opening back up. Have we seen any change? Is anything going to be different? Or are the teachers' unions and critical race theory, cultural Marxism, social emotional learning still the topics of the day in our respective schools? We also want to talk about the supply chain because for whatever reason, why all of a sudden in the last 18 months we don't see our shelves being stocked? How is it that all of a sudden we couldn't get baby formula? What is really going on with this whole issue of the supply chain? And what could the Secretary of Transportation, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, be doing to make sure that we fix this thing? And we see a lot of issues there as well. And the next topic we want to talk about is our power grid security, because we need to be concerned about what is happening, especially with this this Inflation Reduction Act which is nothing more than a bunch of climate change gimmicks. We want to make sure that we can keep the lights on. And I don't think that wind and solar is very reliable. As a matter of fact, we here in Texas know wind and solar is not very reliable. Just go back to a winter a couple of years ago. And lastly, we want to tackle the subject of the woke corporate fascist oligarchs and how they have signed on to this wokeism and this agenda and how they're trying to silence their employees. And we've got a great employee, former Southwest Airlines flight attendant, Charlene Carter, is going to come in and speak with us. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. As promised, Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller, United States Marine Corps, is the Director of Infrastructure Security at the Center for Security Policy. Tommy comes to the center with two decades of experience as an infantry officer and expeditionary ground reconnaissance officer in the Marine Corps and service spanning multiple deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, Africa, and South America. His formal education includes numerous military schools and colleges, a bachelor's degree in international relations from Tulane University, and executive education and high-stakes negotiation from the Wharton School. As a lieutenant colonel, he commanded the Marine Corps Reserve's only independent force reconnaissance company. As director of infrastructure security, Tommy currently performs a wide range of duties for the Center for Security Policy. These duties include 
educating policymakers at the federal level in all branches of government and working daily with renowned national security experts to help provide those policymakers an unconstrained analysis of the current threat environment, along with workable policy solutions to address these threats at a time when some state-level policymakers might falsely assume that national security is a federal concern. We don't make that mistake here. Tommy also helps state and local level officials realize that they, too, have a valuable stake in shaking, shaping policy so that it enhances and re reinforces our national security. Tommy is heavily involved in supporting an important special project, the Secure the Grid Coalition. Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Wall, United States Marine Corps, URA, welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Hey, thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's just great. And it's Alan, okay? We, we both chewed the same dirt, so we're good to go. Tell us about what is your major focus, your major concerns when you talk about securing the electric grid here for the United States of America. And, of course, this is very near and dear for us down here in Texas because we're on our own separate grid. That's right. Well, ultimately, Alan, I think you probably feel the same way when you look at the, the country and our dependence on electricity. There's really nothing that I ever did in uniform or would ever do that would make a difference in the day-to-day -day survival of the American people like electricity does, right? So first off, I just want to thank anybody that works in the utility industry who's working hard to keep the lights on uh, because there's a whole lot of people doing that. Uh, but as you mentioned, yeah, Texas just got a very unfortunate wake-up call uh, just, just a little bit over a year ago, 246 Texas citizens perished um, uh, due to a, just really what was about a three-day blackout for most and what could have been a multi-month blackout uh, were the grid to, uh, to suffer uh, some catastrophic outcomes that were just very narrowly prevented. One minute, 28 seconds, back, margin of error uh, that Texas, Texas had suffered a really, really long blackout. So catastrophic loss of life. Uh, you know, eight children, over 150 elderly, and uh, and hundreds of really over a hundred billion dollars worth of economic loss, and completely preventable. I mean, Texas had suffered blackouts from cold weather, 1989, 2011, 2014, and all the things that they said they were going to do to to harden the grid, they did. So uh, we just got to make sure that doesn't happen again. And you know, it's not just what we saw here in Texas, and I experienced personally. I hate being cold. But it's also what we see in the uh, summertime as well when we have this stress on the, uh, the grid, the power grid. And it is, it is in California and several other places. What is going on? Do we have an over-reliance in these quote-unquote uh, renewable source of energy? And why is it that we're ceding so much of our energy distribution to this, this thing that does not seem to be reliable at the most important times when we need it to be a reliable. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just say, let me preface it by saying that there's absolutely a, ro a, a role for renewables like wind and solar, right? I, I know somebody I'd like to put on your show at some point, if you hadn't had him yet, Mike maybe retired mm -hmm. command sergeant major in the U.S. Army, uh, who also weathered the Texas blackout. He's one of the members of our Secure the Grid Coalition. He had an EMP-hardened solar system uh, and a windmill generating power for his home. He was fine. But when you apply wind and solar to the entire grid, mm -hmm. to the bulk power grid, 
you have a situation, obviously, where when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, you don't have power generation. So what does that cause the grid operators to have to do? Well, they have to make up for that when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow with things like natural gas. And it's like a just-in-time resource. And throughout the entire uh, recent development and, and growth of the grid, not just in Texas, but as other places you mentioned, California, New England, what's happened is political factors – uh, and maybe some of them are, are, are righteous in their intent, right, for the environment. Mm -hmm. But political factors prioritized renewables over resilience. And so there hasn't been a market driver for resilience. People would th there would be subsidies for the renewables in such a way that people felt like they could make more money. And of course, the, the, the public, they wanted renewables because they thought that it would help the environment. And those things combined uh, in such a way that the policymakers incentivized renewables without thinking about resilience. One more thing, that Texas blackout, there's blame to go around. Every single form of generation failed from nuclear to natural gas, to coal, to wind, to solar. Every single one of them failed. And that's because resilience hasn't been the priority. And Alan, that's what we've been calling for for years. And in fact, three legislative sessions in a row in Texas We've had lawmakers author legislation that would protect the grid against all hazards, and the legislature has chosen not to pass that legislation. Well, it's amazing to me because we have this entity called the uh, Electric uh, Reliability Center of Texas, ERCOT. ERCOT, right. So where is the, the, this failure happening? If you're telling me we're not learning the lessons from previous issues and that we have people that are not passing the, the legislation, where's the accountability? I mean, are these people not understanding that we need to be able to have reliable sources of energy and we need to have redundant and, like you said, resilient uh, sources of energy? We should not have this complete uh, you know, blackout that we saw a couple of winters ago. Yeah, so accountability is that's that's the key, Alan. Right? You see accountability in some other places, and PG&E in California uh, has been charged with over 80 felony counts, right, based on the fires that were started by their equipment that they knowingly installed with that risk. I, I, my my colleague Mike Maybe has called for a criminal investigation of Texas utilities for this very same issue of accountability. Right now, Alan, all the risk is on us as the rate payers. Yeah. The, the utilities, look, it's so, it's so bad right now that the utilities that violate critical infrastructure protection standards, the standards established by the federal government to protect the grid, if they violate those standards, we don't even get to know their identities. Okay, and our, our coalition, uh, Mike, again, Mike maybe has filed 255 Freedom of Information Act requests to disclose those identities and FERC, the federal regulator, won't do it. We're actually in a lawsuit right now with the federal government for this issue of transparency. You hit the nail on the head, Alan, it's about accountability. You can't have accountability without transparency. And right now, the incentive for the utility industry is to just pay the fines. Nobody gets to know who they are. And if you look at the math, I'll just end with this, with this ratio right here, this number. Annually, the electric power industry spends just at the federal level. We're not talking about state lawmakers. We're not talking about governors. We're talking about just the federal level alone, about $148 million worth of lobbying. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yet there's only about $4 million annually in fees associated with those penalties from violating those standards. 
So they can just buy their way out through influence and, and, and lobbying uh, from accountability. And, and we've been working hard to try to change this. Well, the amazing thing then is who are these legislators responsive to? Obviously, it seems that they're not responsive or responsible to their constituents. They seem to be responsive and responsible to the people that are writing them the pack checks. And I will tell you that it's very easy. Uh, you can go in and you can look at uh, all of the political contributions. And I think you will be very shocked to see uh, the the incredible stranglehold that some of these uh you know, organizations, wind and solar, especially here in Texas have. But you brought up an interesting point because you talked about natural gas and how it's necessary even for the wind and solar. But when we look at this recently passed Inflation Reduction Act, it starts to tax and go after natural gas. And, of course, it's all increased subsidies to wind and solar. Are we serious about securing and hardening and protecting our grid? Because to me, it's extremely vulnerable still. It absolutely is vulnerable. And that's what's so counterintuitive, Alan, about what's happening. So you see all this investment. I mean, let's start even before this last dump of money. The Infrastructure Act, one point, what, $1.2 trillion, mm -hmm. yes. right? And when you read through what they plan on spending the money on, it's electric vehicle charging stations all over the country. You know, last month I read an article about, uh, and I'm not going to name the name of the brand, but it was a pickup truck that was an electric vehicle, right? And the guy was towing a car. He had to stop 28 times across the country, and each charge was well over an hour. So you think <laughs> about transit time. So I'm, I'm not anti-electric vehicle, but let's have a little bit of reason, reason with yeah. respect to what we're doing to our economy when we decide to apply all of these things to a grid that's already not resilient and not even capable of generating enough electricity to keep the lights on during the cold and the heat. I mean, ERCOT put a notice out in June saying that, hey, we have to be careful and set our thermostats lower during portions of the time of day when it's too hot. You know, are you kidding me? So, Alan, I'm 100 percent with you on this. Look, one third of one percent of the infrastructure bill would take care of the entire problem of our extra high voltage transformers being vulnerable to solar weather or the E3 component of nuclear EMP, one third of 1%. But right now, that's not what they seem to be spending it on. And that's despite our coalition, every single quarterly meeting of the Secretary of Energy Advisory Board, we provide public testimony. On a good note, I, I do. let's make sure we talk about good news because I do have some good news. Yes. On a good note, last week, the Secretary of Energy did listen, gave us a thumbs up as we talked about nuclear energy, the promise of nuclear energy, and the fact that Alan, we have a thousand years worth of energy already harvested. If you count the spent nuclear fuel for our light water reactors, if we recycled that and, and used it in fast reactors to generate electricity, 250 years. Depleted uranium deposits, another 750 years. It's possible for us to power this country for a millennia with carbon-free clean energy if we were just smart about our investments. And that's what we've been providing advice to the Secretary of Energy, and we hope and pray that she will listen. Well, it's very interesting you brought up the thing about the electric vehicles because as ERCOT was putting out the the uh, the warning or whatever to, you know, set your thermostats higher, Elon Musk, you, you know, who is now headquartered down in Austin, Texas, uh, asked people to not charge their EVs during the peak hours of 2 to 8 p.m. So, I don't know why this push for something we don't have the infrastructure to support. You right. know, I, I got to ask you something. 
Jennifer Granholm does not come across as a very astute person when it comes to understanding our energy system. And I don't even know if she has a, a background. Are they seriously going to look at nuclear energy? Because that's one of the cleanest forms of energy. You always hear people saying we need to be more like Europe. Europe has a lot to do with nuclear energy. Do you see a future for us moving toward that as if we continue to have this progressive socialist administration? Well, look, I, I know that the direction that the, that the secretary gets comes from above her, right? Yeah. She's, she's doing what those above her tell her to do. I will credit her, though. I don't know anywhere, and this is what I told her. I could send you the video of the testimony. I was, I was, I was genuine. I don't know any other level of government where there's an advisory board where they invite public comments, where the public gets to talk directly to the secretary, and mm-hmm. that's what she's allowed. And so, I think if if they're willing to listen, then there is a hope for that. I mean, they put they put aside six billion uh, to keep the current nuclear uh, plants going, you know. But we we've got to be doing a heck of a lot more than just that. And so uh, the, the bottom line, Alan, is if, if the public is not clamoring for this, if we're not providing our input mm-hmm. up the chain, uh, then, then it, it, sort of, it certainly reduces the chances that they'll listen. Um, I will tell you, hope, right? Well, mm-hmm. first of all, let me just say this. St. Augustine said that hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage, anger at the way things are and courage to make sure they don't remain that way. People need to be righteously angry about the situation we're in with this incredible country we have, Texas, the powerhouse, the economic powerhouse really of our country with respect to energy, the ninth largest economy in the world. It's ridiculous to think that Texas can't power itself, right? That should make us righteously angry. And so having the courage to actually take part in, in a movement to get the lawmakers, to get the industry to do the right thing is what we need. And the great thing, Alan, is we have a tool, we finally have tools that can do it. Two documentaries. One is a series called the Black Sky Event Series. It just launched its first episode two months ago. It's gonna be a multi-part series that explores this issue in great detail. You will see the highest level electric utility industry uh, personnel and what they say about the grid. They admit it, okay? But the second one just launched and it's coming right out of Texas uh, and it's called Grid Down power up. You can go griddownpowerup.com. And what's so promising about that documentary is there's an entire program that allows viewers to actually get involved. We have pre-written letters, uh, a, a, a series of different campaigns where online on that website, Grid Down Power Up, people can go through after they watch the film and actually work on reaching out to both the lawmakers and to the electric utility industry that's in their area, the the companies, the regulators, and the National Guard and the emergency managers that would be holding the bag if the grid went down. So it's a promising development, and it's it's something that people can finally actually get involved in. It's just not one briefing here and there, but something Mm -hmm. we can have the entire public participate in. Well, that's what we need. People need a call to action uh, because my theory is that Energy security is the linchpin between our economic security and our national security. Absolutely. And for whatever reason, we are not seeing that, and we need to have our energy independence. We need to have an all-sources uh, theory, you know, all pieces of the pie, uh, because we cannot start to believe that unreliable sources can do this all by itself and just 
push aside because of an ideological agenda some of these other sources of energy. Where can people follow you and learn more about all the great work uh, from the Center for Security Policy and, of course, the Secure the Grid Coalition? Sure. Yeah. And, Alan, I should have mentioned that up front that this nonprofit, the Center for Security Policy, we sponsor the Secure the Grid Coalition. But there's, we don't take government money. We don't take money mm-hmm. from the electric power industry. We don't take money from the companies that could make money protecting them. It's literally an unfunded, uh, you know, volunteer effort of people around the country. So just know that um, when it comes to, you know, uh, what people are supporting. The second thing, as far as educational information, you, you can always get information at securethegrid.com. That's the coalition's website. At the moment, if, if anybody went to any one website, I would suggest it be griddownpowerup.com. And the reason is you can sign up, you scroll to the bottom of the page and you sign up for a notification this month, the documentary is going to launch. And the cool thing about it is the producer, David Tice, he decided to do something similar to another successful series that has has been developed the last couple of years called The Chosen. Alan, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've seen that series about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I, I, every time I watch it, I get just choked up, but it had a pay it forward option where people could they could buy the movie and they could buy it for somebody else. So grid down power up is going to have a similar function. So if we have Texans that are out there that are well resourced, uh, that want to, that want to make a difference, of course they can support the center for security policy. We absolutely need it. Like I said, we're, we're suing the federal government from our grocery budget, right? (laughs) Um, but you can buy thousands of viewings and give it to as many people as possible to share, uh, the truth about this vulnerability and get people motivated uh, to turn it around so that we have the power up part of it uh, and we keep this next generation free because without it, Alan, as you well know, the lights go out, we lose America. Yes, we do. And I know David Tice personally down in East Texas. What a great guy. Tommy, I want to thank you for continuing your service to the United States of America. It's an honor to share those uh, Navy Marine Corps gold parachutist insignia wings with you. Uh, and it was a great pleasure of mine to be able to serve there with the Marines at Camp Lejeune for a three-year exchange assignment. So I just want to say Semper Fidelis and Urah to you, and thanks for all you do. Semper Fi. And thank you, Alan, for everything you do. God bless you. Take care, my friend. Yes, sir. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us on the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. I want to thank retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Wall and all he's doing there for the Center for Security Policy. And again, if you enjoy this podcast, what you see, what you hear, please click that like button and share us. God be with you and God bless you. Before they burn it down